Many people have asked me today on what my uh, current status is. And um, as of tomorrow, if they get sent to me anyway, I'm supposed to start a pill form chemo treatment tomorrow. So uh, be praying for me on that note. And we're just believing each and every day. Each and every day. We just keep on believing. I want you to go in the New Testament portion of your Bible. Book of John. John chapter number 8. John 8. We'll start with verse number 1. Jesus went into the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act Well, that leads me to a logical question. Where's the man? My guess is it was a Pharisee. (laughs) One of their buddies. That's why he wasn't brought in and been thrown down in front of Jesus. Now, Moses in the law commands us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, tempting Jesus, that they might have something to accuse him with. Now, you got to follow this through here. But Jesus stooped down. This is the first time. Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. Now, evidently, during this time, he has stood back up again. And during this time that he stood back up, they continued asking him. He lifted up himself and said unto them, as he is rising up from being on the ground, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again, he kneels down and writes on the ground. Now, that's important. I'll explain that later. And they which heard it, they saw what he wrote, but they heard it in the conviction of their heart. And they which heard it being convicted by their own conscience went out one by one, beginning at the oldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Has no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. Jesus said unto her, 
neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Lord, I'm praying that this message will be exactly what it needs to be to every person that's here. Meat for the stronger, milk for the babes, and everything it needs to be in between. Help us all, God, to grow from this word. In Jesus' name, amen. In July 1982, a man by the name of Larry Walters had just been unemployed. I think he'd been a truck driver, if I'm thinking right on that. He had just recently become unemployed, and he decided to do something that he'd wanted to do for 20 years. What he did was he went to the Army-Navy surplus store and seen if they had any weather balloons. And, yeah, they had 45. And he bought every weather balloon that they had. Then he went to the store down the road that sold birthday items, and he bought you a bunch of uh, helium tanks. And his idea was this. He was going to latch or lash these balloons onto a lawn chair that he had. And then, from the lawn chair, he tied that off to his pickup truck. And then he filled all 45 of these weather balloons up with helium. And his idea is, as he gets in, nestles himself into the chair, and he has got sandwiches, a six-pack of Miller Lite, a CB radio, and a BB gun. Because his idea is he's going to float up about 50 feet, and then he will be able to look at everything that's going on in his neighborhood. And it's going to be so serene as he just floats up about 50 feet in the air. And when he wants to go down, he will just start individually shooting the weather balloons. Great idea. <laughs> this guy lived near Los Angeles, about 30 minutes, I think, south of Los Angeles. And what this tells me is there's rednecks all over the United States of America. <laughs> And as he nestles himself in and he's got everything that he needs, his girlfriend has a knife and she starts sawing with that knife on the rope that's holding the lawn chair to the pickup truck. And when she got to that last cord, that last bit of rope, that thing, like a rocket, <laughs> shot up to 16,000 feet. In the process of all of this, he, uh, 
he went to grab his gun and to shoot and his uh, thumb hooked his glasses and his glasses fell overboard. Then in the turmoil of all of it, he even lost uh, uh, something else that he had his sandwiches with him and all of this such a mess that was just going on. And they have, this is all, this is not a myth, this actually happened. They have all of this, uh, uh, you can get online and read about everything, but what the airport said, what he said, here's part of the uh, L.A. airport. They radioed to him on his CB and asked this, what information do you wish to tell us at this time of your location and your difficulty? Larry Walters replies, uh, the difficulty is uh, this was an unauthorized balloon launch and uh, I know I'm now in federal airspace. <laughs> in all of this, a Pan Am pilot, as he's flying into the LA airport, this is what they've got him as saying. LAX just spotted a man at 16,000 feet in a lawn chair, and it looks like he's carrying a gun. <laughs> Soon after that, Larry Walters loses his gun as he's ready, he's going to, because he sees he's headed out toward the Pacific Ocean, and he's frantically wanting to shoot all these balloons, and he drops his, his gun. What happened was the Coast Guard had to intervene. They shot the balloons, and he landed in the Pacific, and they got him up out of the water. He got to land, and the moment he got to land, there the authorities was to arrest him. And here was Larry Walter's great comment when asked by the local TV station, why he would have done such a, a crazy thing. He says, I wanted to do this for 20 years, plus a man just can't sit around all day. <laughs> you know, he's unemployed and he just got... I relate that story to tell you this. Didn't Jesus say that the fields are white unto harvest? And in my, my mind, when I hear those words, I see something. I see as, a, as thousands of people, most of them dressed up in what would have been a whitish colored robe, and they are heading toward him, and Jesus looks at the disciples and says, the fields, they're white unto harvest. Here they come. I think the same words that Larry said should be the same words that was in our own spirit. This is something that I've wanted to do for so many years. Plus, a guy just can't sit around all day. The fields are white unto harvest, and the Bible says that we must tell someone. It's an imperative necessity. 
I didn't learn anything in English except that term. Bill Cotton said the word must is an imperative necessity. You can't go over it. You can't go under it. You can't go around it. He said you must have air to breathe. You must have water to live. You must have food to live. Jesus said, you must be born again. And then he go, turns around and tells the disciples, us at, at, at large as well, he says, you've got to go out and turn right around and reach someone else. 90% of Christian people never, ever share their faith. 90%. That's a tragedy. And me and Brian was talking about this this past week. I think the term soul winner is partly to blame, especially in North America. Because, yeah, we understand the word soul, and, and in America, the word winner denotes a certain attitude and a certain thing within our mind. And when some of the preacher says, you need to be out there and be a soul winner, what the idea is, it's all up to you. And you know that's not true. That's not true in soul winning. See, we think of the word winner, that you got to win that person or else if you don't, it's your fault. Therefore, we play it safe and don't do nothing. I think that's wrong. And I think the best way to illustrate this is something that Logan Hackworth said a few months back. And at the time, I thought that would be a great illustration. So we're going to illustrate that right now. Who enjoys the Brainiac game of chess? Anybody? Come on. Who else? Right here, close. I want you guys... You can go first. No, wait a minute. How, how is it they do it? They do it something like this. Is that what it is? Put it behind your back. And then... Put it behind my back. All right. Put them up front. Alright. Now, how many here has ever played Hungry Hungry Hippos? <laughs> Come right on, Ashley. Come on. Who else? Come right on. You in the blue. Right Troy, come on. Who else? Come on. Now, I don't even know how. I've never played. I don't know how it goes, but I hear it's pretty frantic. All right. Whatever you got to do to go. That it? That's it. Huh? Huh? Who? Huh? You win? I Here's a winner. All right. All right. Thank you. Thank you. And now, hmm. Hmm. Continue on. 
This is how we do soul winning. We're more apt to view soul winning as the chess match to where every, every little move is so vitally important. And what if I miss move? Can I ever get that move back? Oh, it's so important. It's Kasparov and who is the other one? Huh? Huh? Fisher, yeah. And Bobby Fisher. Bobby Fisher playing the the computer. What was that computer called? Blue something. Big Blue. See if I get help, I can piece it all together. (laughs) That's how we view soul winning. Instead of going like this, Well, it didn't exactly go exactly like I wanted it to go, but you know what? I bet that guy will be there tomorrow and I can just. <laughs> I think you ought to pray and then just dig in. I seen Shambach one time tell Phil Donahue as he was on his program and, and Donahue said, well, preacher, what if you pray for someone in your prayer line and they don't get healed? And Shambach says, I tell him, get that guy out of the way so I can pray for the next one. I like that attitude. I like that. See, Donnie, you're saying he's just going to knock the blocks out from under him. But no. Furthermore, Donnie, you said, well, you preachers got to take up the offering bag all the time. And then he says, "Uh, let's break for commercial messages. And Shambach said, you taking up the offering bags right now, Phil? Yeah. Yeah. That is a better, implies better to me the art of soul winning than the chess game does. You just keep after. You keep after. You keep, yeah, you're going to make mistakes. Everybody does except the person that never does anything. You guys can, you guys can, unless you're really into it. You, <laughs> Good game. <laughs> You've heard me say this a number of times. When I'm, so, when I'm out and when I'm trying to reach someone, and they've, a lot of times I've been invited to go over and talk with someone, what I do, I never carry this Bible in. I've got a little red Bible that I use, and I start with Romans chapter 3, verse 19. And right next to that verse, I then write Romans chapter 3, verse 23. That way I know where I'm going next. You know, that that every mouth may be stopped. For all are guilty. And every mouth may be stopped before God. And then I go to Romans 3.23. And after that, I go to Romans 6.23. And after that... I go to Romans 10, 9. After that, I go to Romans 10, 19. That whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And believe me, I've been shot down a lot of times. But let's view it more like the hungry, hungry hippo than like the game of chess. To where let's get people knowing that, yeah, we're going to make mistakes. Sure we are. We're human. 
But yet, there's people out there that need to know, and as long as we play it close to the vest, they will never have the opportunity to hear. Passing out a CD. Here's how we do it. You wouldn't want a CD, would you? Well, of course they're going to say no. People are prone to say no. They just are. The way to do it is, have you received one of these? They're still going to say no, but they're going to receive one. Have you received one of these? No. And the whole time they're going like this because they figure somebody else has got one. They ought to get one too. See, Jesus said, be, be harmless as doves and wise as serpents. There are things that we can do to help get this thing along and to move it into our advantage to where it is more easily understood and more easily uh, being able to get the Word of God into a person's heart and into their, into their life. Now, listen, if you're a Pharisee, you don't care. Because your idea is, I've got mine, I really don't care about anybody else. That's who confronted Jesus this day, was the Pharisees. But let me show you God's heart. This, is a, this was a verse under the crushing weight of the Old Testament law. Nehemiah chapter 9. Nehemiah says to God, you are, you are a God that's ready to pardon. That's in the Old Testament he says this. Gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and you will not forsake us. Last week I preached on David. And David, this man asked forgiveness. He said, I have sinned. The next words out of Nathan the prophet's mouth is, the Lord has put away your sin. That's forgiveness in an instant. That's forgiveness in an instant. The book of Jonah. In Jonah chapter 3, verse 9, the king of Nineveh, as he gets the word of God from, from Jonah. And here's what the man says. The Nineveh, the, I mean, the Ninevites were the most despicable of despicable with how they treated their enemies. That's why, no, that's why uh, Jonah didn't want to go. It wasn't just small, it wasn't uh, small children and babies, it was, it was even adults to where they would take and they would have spears stuck in the ground and, and big long stakes and they would just throw people upon the sharpened end of that. And, and Jonah didn't want to see them people get forgiveness. And yet God sent him to that people and the king said, who can tell? Who can tell? Maybe God will repent. That's all the man had to go on was a maybe. Maybe God will forgive us. Here in the New Testament light of things concerning because of the cross of Jesus Christ, we can have forgiveness the moment you ask. You don't have to wait. And it's not maybe and hope so. No, the moment you ask. In Psalms chapter 34... This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. I like that verse after what I heard about David Berkowitz. You all know who son of Sam was, the 44 caliber killer, after he was imprisoned in upstate New York. I, won't go, I don't have the time to go into all his life. But as he was imprisoned, they 
give him a Bible in his cell, and he started reading from Genesis 1-1. He read through all of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, all the way through the Bible, not one verse ever registering in his heart. He's in prison. He don't have anything else to do. He just continues reading the Bible. And then he gets to Psalms chapter 34, verse 6. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. David Berkowitz was converted on the spot. Yeah, but that ain't fair. He shot and killed him other people. God's forgiveness is what we're talking about here. It wasn't fair for you to get it either. It wasn't fair for me to get it either. The woman taken in adultery, it is instant forgiveness. Jesus kneeled down and he was willing to touch the dirt and thank God that he was. And there's a wonderful scripture where it says that Jesus he uh, went out and he reached out and he touched the leper. And then from there it says, Jesus went into the temple. By Mosaic law, you could not touch a leper, anyone that was defiled, anyone that had a sickness, anyone that was maimed or crippled, and then march straight on into the temple. Jesus did. You know why? The same difference as the sun, when the sun shines on the garbage can, it don't make the sun unclean. With the Son of God reaching over and touching and healing the leper, it didn't turn Jesus into something unclean. Of course not. We need to forget, Christian people. Well, let me go on to something else. John Newton wrote Amazing Grace. And at one time, the famous words that flowed from his mouth that someone overheard him say as he was at a public hanging. And as the man was being hung, John Newton said these words, except for the grace of God, go I. He knew that he deserved to be hung. But instead... He got forgiveness in an instant that came to his life. Forgiveness in an instant. About 10 years ago, I was driving through Wayne City, got stopped by the, you go, I think I said cop, uh, got stopped by the railroad track and couldn't go over. And in front of me was a convertible load of Teenage, and I'll just tell you what I, train went on through, the guard, the crossing things went up, and I'm in a hurry, and they're just sitting there, talking and screaming and hollering at each other. And I said, would those freaks get out of the way? And when they drove off, the, life, the uh, bumper on their bumper sticker had, had, God bless the freaks. <laughs> yeah. That, ooh. Mm. That hit me. That hit me. Amen. The good Samaritan got his hands dirty. 
When the good Samaritan helped the person that needed help that was left for half dead. And it cost him something to help. But let me interject this. It'll cost you more if you don't help. And I'm not even going to explain that. I just hope you mull on that this week. Mull that over in your mind. Number two, Jesus would not let the guilty condemn the guilty. The correct rendering of this verse is, he that is without this sin, throw the stone. I mean, Jesus knew each one of their hearts. And none of them could pick up the stone. The only person that had the right to stone this woman wouldn't do it. God in the flesh. It's so easy to condemn and to accuse. Let me tell you something. When When you're condemning someone else, and as a Christian, that's painfully wrong to do that. Shouldn't have to even be stated. But that's painfully wrong to do that. But when you condemn another person, what you're doing, you're giving the devil a day off. Because that's his job. He condemns the brethren. So if you condemn people, you need to shut that up right now. Because ain't your place. Ain't my place. Now... Back where we started. Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground. What did he write? I don't know. I'm guessing at it. You say, well, it could be wrong. I know, but it could be right. (laughs) I think he wrote the word adultery in the sand. Because when he stood up, they're all still talking. Yeah, that's right. That's right. They're all still talking. Yeah, she's guilty. She's guilty of that. And then Jesus stooped back down again, and he wrote the word Tamar. And he wrote the word Rahab. And he wrote the word Bathsheba. All three Famous women in the scripture who had all sinned that same sin of adultery. And God's grace had just blown across that and wiped that out in an instant. The same way as you can't go over to Israel now and see those words that Jesus wrote in the sand because over time it had just... The sands had just blown, the wind had blown across that sand towards no more. Give you one more thing, then I quit. And y'all, this is one a lot of you have heard before. A preacher in India needed to get to cross to another country and had to cross the mountains to get into that country to go talk to a group of residents that had maybe had never heard the gospel. This man's name was Sanjay Singh. And Sanjay Singh took a a buddy of his in the ministry, and they was going to travel this area to get there. And about halfway through, it got to where the blizzard had caught them, 
and just a few hundred miles further as they was up the road and they seen to where the, the snow was just piling in something terrible on them and the temperature was dropping rapidly. And upon traveling even further, they saw a hump in the road. As they got there, they looked and, and brushed the snow off and it was of a man. And son Jasing took the man's pulse and seen that he was barely alive and he told his buddy, he said, we've got to help this man or he's going to die right here on the spot. And Sun Singh's buddy said, no, we can't do it. It'll slow us down. If we try to help this guy, all three of us would be dead. And what good would that do? And Sun Singh said, I cannot let him remain. And the man said, do what you want. And he took off toward that village. Sun Singh, with much difficulty, lowers himself down he gets that man's arms in a position to where he can drape himself, that man's arms over his shoulders, and then he's on his knees, and from there he's on his feet, and then from there he lifts up, and he starts walking, literally with this man draped over his shoulders, and he's walking to get to this city. And he hadn't went but maybe a quarter of a mile, and he saw something in the road. It was a man. With much pain and time it took to do it and effort, he gets the load of the man off his shoulders. He reaches over. He uncovers the snow from the man, and it's his buddy. He takes his pulse. He is dead. Again, with much effort, he gets this first man. He drapes him across his shoulders, and he begins the trek again. And he sees the lights of the village, and from there... He went into a house and just fell into the front door into the house and woke up the next morning and there was a doctor of that village that was there. And he told him, as Sanjay Singh woke up, he said, did, did my friend survive? And he said, yeah, your friend will make it. And he said, well, I had a buddy along the way that he didn't make it. And the doctor said, I understood that you carried this man into the village, into this blizzard. And Sanja Singh said, yes, that's what he had done. And the man told him, the doctor said, that saved your life. The extra amount of strain and effort that that was putting on your heart to make the blood course through your veins even that much faster and that much quicker. He said all of that just worked in unison to help keep you alive. And he said, by saving him, you save yourself. Christian people, hide it under a bushel? No. Heaven's sake, no. We've been forgiven much. We should love much. We should be willing to tell the greatest story known to mankind. That Jesus Christ came to this world to suffer, bleed, and die, to rise again, all because he loves you and me and wants everyone to have forgiveness. Bow your heads, please. Father, I'm thankful, God, for another time that you've given me to be able to expound your word to your people. And I am believing, God, that this day, let this ring true, that we've got the message that people need to hear. But Lord, how can they hear if we keep still? 
How can they hear if we never tell someone? Lord, how many times I've thought about this. People took an interest in me. I need to take an interest in others. People wanted to see me born again. I need to want to see other people born again. Help me, Lord, in this. Help me, God, as I shared this today, that forgiveness in an instant, in a second. That is so true, and yet so many times we act like it's not. Touch the hearts of the people here this day. Touch mine as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Savior, I come quiet my soul Remember Redemption's here where your blood was spilled for my ransom and everything I once held dear I count it all as lost lead me to the cross where your love poured out bring me to my knees Lord I lay me down rid me of myself I belong to you oh lead me lead me to your Cross 
It is our prayer that you have been blessed as you've listened to this message. If you would like to become a partner with this ministry, please contact us here at Orchardville Church. You can visit our website at orchardvillechurch.com or you can contact us by phone at area code 618-835-2677.